3: left for three in the win. Yes! Deion
0: has done it! I watched Marcus Morris handling the ball like he was a point guard.
3: I watched them give the ball to Julius Randle. This brother was dribbling the ball up the damn court. First team all defense! First team all defense! I don't know about this, but Rihanna just walked in front of me. Are you kidding me?
2: Welcome to a Tuesday evening edition of the Road to Wire NBA. Nick Whalen back, as I always am, on Tuesdays with Alex Marutha. Uh, Alex, as we kind of ran through last week, not a ton of news at this point in the NBA season. Uh, Obviously, we had the trade deadline a couple weeks ago to recap. We had some buyout guys switching teams, um, but everybody's pretty much settled in at this point. And, you know, barring some minor additions like Ben McElmore joining the Lakers today, Dwayne Dedman joining the Miami Heat, um, most of the the contending teams, at least, are are kind of starting to to shape up their rosters, and, and this is what it's going to be going forward. So not a ton to get to as far as what's going on around the league, um, but I want to run through a few news items and, and then discuss the much ballyhooed ESPN top 25 under 25 list that came out today. Uh, Stephen A. Smith this morning disassociated himself from the list entirely. <laughs> uh, it's, it's caused a complete ruckus uh, all over Twitter, uh, but we'll get into that in a little bit. First, I want to start with Isaiah Thomas, who apparently is going to play for the New Orleans Pelicans today. I completely forgot that Isaiah Thomas exists. He said today that he is now at 102 percent health. He's the <laughs> healthiest man of all time uh, after that hip resurfacing uh, surgery that he, he underwent, I, I think, about a year ago. Isaiah Thomas obviously has not been super relevant in the NBA uh, in a long time, really since leaving the Celtics after that one great year um, that he had in 2016-17 in But the Pelicans are dealing with a ton of injuries. Alonzo Ball did come back, but Alexander Walker's out. Josh Hart is out. The rookie Kyra Lewis is out. Is Isaiah Thomas the missing piece for the New Orleans Pelicans?
1: Uh, I'm going to say no. Um, Although being at 102% health is interesting. Um, Well, to see kind of what comes of that. I think, yeah, I mean, he's the kind of a guy where his injuries were serious enough to where it it seemed like he definitely needed time off. Right, like I think having a couple a year or two off in the NBA was probably good for him because it seemed like that hip really wasn't getting any better. So, I mean, I'm sort of optimistic. Um, but I, you know, with any buggy that's out of the league for an extended period of time, whether it's due to injury or not, it's usually not great. Uh, right when they come back,
2: so I, I think he's only on a is he only on a ten day deal? Uh, I believe so. Um. Yeah, 10-day contract. And I'm not sure exactly when the timetable starts on that. There's been kind of a delay with a lot of these uh, due to COVID protocols and whatnot. But he'll basically have a week and a half to prove himself. I I really don't think anything comes of this whatsoever. Um, But between him and and DeMarcus Cousins potentially debuting for the Clippers tonight, uh, kind of a throwback theme to the NBA this week. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Cousins news kind of came out of nowhere, although it's not I mean, it wasn't too
1: surprising that he found, you know, a spot to play elsewhere. It's just that, especially with Ibaka out, and it doesn't, it doesn't really seem like we know when Ibaka is coming back mm-hmm. uh, for them to get a third center, essentially, like in the playoffs, Cousins will be the third center. And he's the kind of a guy you're, you're <laughs> at this point in his career. It's like, well, if he's our third option off the bench at center in the playoffs. That that's great. So, um, I think, I think, I mean, that's <laughs> That signing, I think, will have way more impact uh, in the NBA than Isaiah Thomas signing a 10-day with the Pelicans.
2: Well, Cousins is also on a 10-day, so True. I don't think there's any guarantee that either of these guys won. The Pelicans might probably won't even make the playoffs, so we might not see Isaiah regardless. I, If I had to bet on whether DeMarcus Cousins is still on the Clippers roster uh, for the start of the NBA playoffs, let alone 11 days from now, I, I'm not sure I would say yes. Um, but I I want to talk a little bit more about cousins. The Isaiah thing was was kind of a joke to lead off with, but <laughs> cousins is interesting because his his peak was obviously much longer. Isaiah just kind of had the one I wouldn't call it a quite a flash in the pan year, but you know by by far one standout season compared to the rest of his career. Whereas I mean for a good five or six year stretch, Demarcus Cousins was a a perennial All Star, uh, and that extended you know into his first year and a half uh, with with the Pelicans when obviously the injuries started to kick in, but From the start of the 2013-14 season to his final game in 17-18, again, when the injuries really started to take their toll, he was averaging 25.2 points, 12 rebounds, four assists, one and a half steals, one and a half blocks, uh, with a 47-35-75 shooting line. Four all-star games, two all-NBA second teams in that span. I... You know, we've we've talked a lot over the years about, you know, Hall of Fame cases and whatnot. I don't think Demarcus Cousins has done nearly enough to make the Hall of Fame. He hasn't won, you know, nearly enough games. His reputation for most of that stretch uh was pretty bad, especially among the people that vote for these things. So I I don't really want to discuss it in that context, but I, I do feel like in some ways his his peak years were, were kind of underrated, partially due to just how bad those Kings teams were. Right.
1: Yeah, he um He was the only thing really making them competitive a lot of those years. Um, You know, I mean, I've heard plenty of people say, like, you kind of talked about his reputation. Um, You know, I know he didn't have a great reputation for getting back on defense. Um, And he took, like, probably, he might have took too many shots. Um, And, you know, some years he wasn't great from three and was just launching him up. I I mean, he was obviously great. Like, he was deserving of those, I think, his five all-star, four all-star selections? Four. Four um like definitely deserving of that and i think um it it does it, it sucks that he like we we didn't get to see him actually like play the rest of his career out in like you know kind of fade like a like a normal all-star caliber player would and now he's kind of fighting to be a deep reserve on like a title team that may not even really need him
2: yeah i mean he flamed out in houston that did not go well at all. Uh, you know, w- like once every five games, he would he would go for like 20 and 15 and kind of remind you of, of what he's capable of when healthy. Um, but obviously he didn't really fit uh, the direction that that team was going and, and has been on essentially since he, he parted ways with them. But I, I mean, I, I think that the biggest what if to me is, you know, what if he doesn't tear his Achilles in New Orleans that second season? When, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins were going to be the one, two that lead the Pelicans to the NBA finals or anything like that. But he was finally on a competent roster, not even a great roster, just a roster that wasn't by far the worst in the league. Like most of those Kings teams were. Um And I, I think we kind of started to see a more versatile version of Boogie Cousins where he was still able to get his numbers, but the usage wasn't ridiculous. Like you said, he wasn't just jacking up threes, turning it over five times a game. Um, like he, like he was in his peak years in Sacramento, but we just never really got to see, you know, a full sample of, of him with Anthony Davis. And there's a case to be made that the Pelicans making that move and then, you know, it failing like it did because of, of what happened with Cousins injury wise. I mean, ultimately led to the downfall of Anthony Davis in New Orleans. I, I think that was kind of their big swing um, to, to bring another star in there. And, and it was somebody that Davis wanted to play with. And, and again, because of injury, you know, it, it didn't work out. And I think that kind of set that franchise back a couple of years.
1: Yeah. I mean, they had made so many poor moves. Like that was kind of like a last chance desperation sort of a thing. Um, You know, they had Drew Holiday on the roster and like at that time having, you know, Davis cousins and Drew Holiday, like there was a reason that um, they had a good season. Right. I mean, those were three guys like all in their primes at that point, but they still had like too many, you know, like it was still a lot of Etuan Moore. Miritich was on that team. Rondo was on that team. Um, they're still giving like 20 minutes a game to guys like Darius Miller. Like it was just, you know, a situation where it's like beyond those top three, um, there really wasn't a lot. And then obviously once cousins went down, it was just kind of over.
2: Well, and the damn thing too, is as great. As cousins was that year, he was an all-star. I think he got hurt like right before the all-star break that season, like late January. Um, you know, they, right after that, I'm looking at their schedule now They they lost five of six immediately after the injury. And then they reeled off like 11 wins in a row, and that was also the year that they swept Portland out of nowhere in the first round of the playoffs. And you, you kind of forget like Demarcus Cousins was a part of that team, um, and it ended up being kind of a weirdly positive ending to that season. You know, Rondo and, and Anthony Davis played really well together. That led them to bringing back Rondo the next year, um, and obviously they they fell victim to you know a Warriors team that was basically invincible at that point in the second round, but. I think that was kind of the thing with Cousins where, you know, he could tear his Achilles midseason and the team could still sweep through the first round because there's always this question of like, he's given us 25, 12 and five. But at the end of the day, is it actually contributing to wins?
1: Right. Yeah. It's like if you distributed those shots elsewhere, you know, if you ran more of like a, uh, you know, less of an offense, like through him, I, he did. He did average five turnovers a game that season. Sure five did. assists. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's
1: kind of unbelievable.
2: He, uh, I'm looking again at his game log from the end of that season. He had at least five turnovers in nine of his final 10 games <laughs> that year, including th- three game, four games with at least seven turnovers, uh, in that span. But his, his like last great game in the NBA was a, a January 22nd, 2018, uh, and a four point win over the Chicago bulls Demarcus cousins in 52 minutes finished with 44, 23, 10 and four steals. <laughs> and five turnovers uh
1: yeah i mean i i should go back and watch that game it would be incredible to see like you know i like prime cousins was when he, he there were moments where he seemed like really unstoppable yeah um and a lot of times yeah he did get in his own way with the turnovers and being a little too selfish but um he was someone that was like really fun to
2: watch when he was going the road to Wire nba podcast is brought to you by gamer saloon Gamer Saloon is a video game tournament platform where you can play video games for real cash prizes. All major consoles and PCs are supported. Our most popular titles are NBA 2K, Madden, FIFA, NHL, and Call of Duty. Gamer Saloon launched in 2006 and since then has awarded more than $75 million in prizes. Players could play in multiplayer tournaments or simply play 1v1 games from your couch for real cash prizes. Withdrawals are fast and easy, and they're directly deposited right into your PayPal account. Join a free match on us today by going to gamersaloon.com slash rotowire. That's gamersaloon.com slash rotowire, and simply pick your game of choice. All you have to do is win one match, and Gamer Saloon will give you $10. Again, gamersaloon.com slash rotowire. Win that match. Go get those free $10. All right, we'll we'll put a moratorium on DeMarcus Cousins' talk the rest of the way. Uh, Thank you for indulging me in that. Um, Victor Oladipo in Miami, I want to touch on that real quickly. The Heat are 2-0 since Oladipo debuted. It hasn't been great for Oladipo individually, Uh, kind of a a 48-esque start to his tenure in in Miami, Uh, 14 points through two games. He's a combined 5 of 21 from the field, 1 of 10 from three. Concerned, mildly concerned, not concerned at all by a little bit of a slow start.
1: Not concerned. I mean, you know, they the the heat. I mean, they're not playing as well, obviously, as people hope they would. But they're still I think they're the fifth seed right now. Yeah, they are tied with uh, Atlanta. And I think like Oladipo is was just extra for them. You know, they only gave up Avery Bradley and Kelly Olynyk, And so, you know, and Oladipo is someone who even if he's not shooting especially efficiency uh, efficiently, he's going to be one of the better defenders in the NBA um, on games where like he's feeling healthy. Essentially, and he can still pass the ball well. High IQ player, so I'm not really that concerned at all. I think this is something where as long as he gets right and gets within the flow of the offense, by the time the playoffs comes around, really that's all that matters because the East is so like bunched up right now that you know any any team any team four through like eight could end up like within those seeds.
2: Yeah. And you said it with just the cost of acquisition for Oladipo was so low that it is just kind of a, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite say it's like a no lose situation. You know, if he, if he shoots 20% from the field, the rest of the way uh, that that's going to be damaging. But at, at the end of the day, like they, they're not under any obligation to give Victor Oladipo a contract after the season. I think that's the idea that when you trade for someone on an expiring deal, mid season, um, you know, you'd like to keep him around long term, but if, if he just doesn't play well, and, and my my guess is that over the next 25 games, he he will certainly play a lot better than he has. But if he doesn't, you're not under any obligation to then just hand him you know 35 or eh, probably closer to like what 20 million dollars a year. Like what is a fair contract for Oladipo if he plays you know reasonably well?
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: The rest of the way, like annual value somewhere in the 15 to 20 range?
1: I think so. Yeah, because you still probably have to pay him like he's a fringe all-star. I I would think. think. Um, I'm trying to look at the guys who make like 20 million right now. Like Van Vliet makes, you know, like 21 million. Mm Mm-hmm. And that it feels seems like, like
2: a pretty good deal in retrospect.
1: It does. Yeah. Um, you know, like Ingram makes like 27 million. Um you know, Bojan Bogdanovic makes 17. So I okay, think that's all I need to hear. <laughs> so I think Victor Oladipo can probably make about 20 if yeah. he's if he plays well.
2: Okay. Um let's get into this ESPN. Top 25 list. Uh, We're going to scrap the Ben McElmoore, is he the Lakers savior? portion of the podcast in favor of this. So, uh, essentially, ESPN put together top 25 uh, players in the NBA under 25 years old. And the important caveat that that many many people on Twitter I, I don't think quite read in the intro of the article is that this is projecting out toward the future. It's not the top 25 players under 25 right this second. It is essentially if you were, you know, going through and doing a a draft of which guy you would want to build your franchise around. You know, you're assuming five, ten years down the road, um, which guy would you want? So, Luka Doncic, a, a pretty easy number one. Uh, Zion Williamson comes in at number two. Lamelo Ball number three. Donovan Mitchell number four, and Jason Tatum comes in at number five. And we should note that this is a a composite list of three experts: Mike Schmitz, uh, Kevin Pelton and Bobby Marks all listed their you know, individual top 25. And they essentially took the average of those lists. What to you, uh, whether you want to start with that top five, you want to start at the top, you want to go anywhere in there. What do you stood out most when you started to look at this composite list? Uh,
1: I was, I guess the first name that stuck out to me was LaMelo Ball at three. Um, yes. Like he's looked great and I think he's deserving of rookie of the year. And I know, like, again, we're we're going towards future potential, even though they use a clickbait title that doesn't imply that. Um, I don't know if I would comfortably put him ahead of especially Jason Tatum. Um, and uh, and Mitchell Mitchell's also in a weird spot, too. But three feels high for for LaMelo Ball, even though. Uh, the more I think about it, it's not crazy,
2: but it caught my eye for sure. So it's not crazy. I'm with you on that. That that is something that, especially focusing on the top five, that that stood out as well. And you always wonder, it's like, okay, Lamelo Ball's a hot name. You know, there, is, there are there's certain corners of the internet that are dedicated entirely to Lamelo Ball. Is there something, you know, is 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 this you know situation where you you want him in the top five for the sake of the discussion? Who knows? But I, I think the the big case for Lamelo Ball right now is that he's 19 and a half years old. And you know, Zion is is a little over 20 and a half. Luca is 22 guys like Mitchell Tatum, you know, they're, they're in 23, 24 range. So I I think there's this belief that, you know, this time next year, he'll be 20 and a half. He'll still be a year and a half younger than Jason Tatum at the time that you're doing this exercise. I I think there's the idea that he maybe has more room to grow, you know, especially between year one and year two than some of these other guys, you know, like, like a a Donovan Mitchell, for example, who's been, you know, who's awesome as a rookie and has gotten slightly more awesome each year, but hasn't really made these like massive leaps year to year. Um, maybe that's how ball's career turns out, but I I think there's, he's almost benefiting from the unknown at this point where he he was so good through 41 games that I think there's this belief that he could be even better. And maybe he will, maybe he won't.
1: Yeah, I think so. Because people are just going to assume he'll like iron out his weaknesses, even Mm -hmm. though we haven't like gotten a chance, like 25 is still a really young age. Like if you're putting LaMelo ball at 19 and a half years old at number three, and then Poking Jason Tatum at five because he's three years older. That right. doesn't I don't that's not enough of a gap. Like we're like, you know, we've we've seen a guy like um like Giannis, for example. I think Giannis is playing the best basketball of his career over the past like twenty games or something like that, and he's yep. twenty six. There's still plenty like Damian Lillard is a guy who, you know, started really peaking as like a twenty eight year old. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure the difference in like a few years matters enough. And like, yes, it is really surprising that LaMelo ball is this good right away. But when, Mel- when LaMelo ball is 23, are we going to be like kind of looking, you know, and like picking apart his, you know, his, every little aspect of his game, like people do with Jason Tatum and being like, well, you know, Tatum doesn't get to the line enough. Exactly. Uh, this and that. Yeah.
2: And two years ago, nobody had a single complaint about Jason Tatum, right? Because right. at that time, it was well, he's he's 21 years old. You know, you're allowed to have these faults, and he'll for sure iron them out. And you know, that is not always how it works. And I think Ben Simmons, who is number seven on this list, is also in that category. I, I think like after his rookie year, he would have probably been at least number two or three on a similar list, right?
1: Yes. Simmons Simmons is different for me though, because he is someone who feels like he like really has not improved that much. Like mm-hmm. I think his defense has definitely improved. I think you I think you have to at least concede that. Sure. But of most players who come into the league and like become a star or like an all-star right away, it does feel like he is not he really has pro- kind of progressed the least. And there's like little things you can point to, but um a lot of the problems people have with this game are like very much not solved. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's felt very stagnant in a way that guys like around him in that list have are are different.
2: Right. At at no point after his rookie year, did I think we'd be here, you know, three, four years later, still having the same debate about the three point shot. Like I, I I don't, I don't think we ever thought he would be hitting three, three pointers per game at 41% or anything like that. But I thought he would, he would at least get it to the point where it's kinda of in that Giannis zone where like you maybe don't want him taking four or five a game, but you know, if he absolutely has to, you know, he can be somewhat of a threat. And and the fact that it hasn't even progressed to like you know any incremental level, I, I think is a little concerning. Well, it's
1: I mean, aside from his free throw shooting, all of his numbers this season are worse than his rookie year. So I think you look at Ben Simmons, like his rookie year. He was sixteen, eight, and eight, you know, one point seven steals. Uh, 0.9 blocks and <laughs> like you said imagine 4 you know we like four years from then we'd be talking about a guy who is still averaging 15 8 and 7 with one and a half mm-hmm. steals and like the same exact field goal percentage as his right. rookie year zero improvement on threes his again free throw percentage is like five you know six seven percent increase but stats wise he's
2: practically identical with Simmons, it's a lot of just eye of the beholder. Yeah, you know, like Bobby Marks has him at four on his list. He comes in at, at an average of seven. Um, you know, it, if you really value the defensive contributions uh, and, and the playmaking, then yeah, it's totally justifiable to have him that high. But I, at the same time, like I, I think some of these other guys, and, and again, everybody's basically in the same age range. I, I think you're you're totally right. Like if you want to if you want to compare Lamelo Ball versus Steph Curry, who would you rather have for the next five years? <laughs> right. It's like one of those guys is going to be out of their prime and might not even be good in five years. We're like all these guys, barring a, a major injury at, you know, at the at the very oldest. The oldest player, I think, on the list is is Donovan Mitchell at 24, uh, 24 and a half. Like, you know, at, he's going to be 29 and a half in five years. You know, like every single player on this list is still going to be good. I, I really don't think you can do a whole lot of, you know, projecting out and saying like, well, he might be on the downslope by the time you're you're having this conversation. Like, no, I, I think that's completely out of it with Simmons, you know, how much do you weigh the fact that, like you said, he has really, has not improved. Like if he hasn't improved from age 20 to 24, is it realistic to expect him to improve from age 24 to 28?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good. And like, he's someone who, you know, if you want to read this list as, okay, you you're, you're ranking this list based on, you have to give this player a max contract for the rest of his career Mm -hmm. essentially until he's like 40 or whatever. You know, who are you most comfortable doing that with? And like Simmons would be very far like down on that list for me. Um, yeah, because he's someone who fe- who's starting to feel closer to like a supercharged Draymond Green than like an actual star.
2: And, and I think he can still be a star. Like he's probably going to end yeah. his career with like eight all star appearances and is going to be right, like right, right, right on the borderline for the Hall of Fame, depending on you know how it goes playoff success wise for the next 10 years. But yeah, I, I think with Simmons, it's like he's 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 almost like the biggest lock of all these guys, you know, where it's like, you just, you know, he's going to be really, really good for the next decade. But I I think there's a chance that other guys can pass him up. Like, I don't see him improving to the point that he passes up other players, but guys below him on this list could get better over the next five years and pass him, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Like I certainly feel like there's a good chance John Morant ends up being a more impactful player. I mean, the defense is tough for Morant and Trey Young and those guys Mm -hmm. are kind of farther down on the list than I think a lot of Casual fans would have them, but maybe someone more comparable, like Shea Gilges Alexander, you know, if five years from now, Shea Gilgis Alexander was like definitely better than Ben Simmons. That would not surprise me. He's a mm-hmm. way more, um, way more well-rounded player who is also a great defender and has great size who could theoretically also be a all NBA, uh, uh all defense caliber player. So, you know, like you said, yeah, Simmons has a, a really high floor in his career because of how he play makes and plays defense. But, He's not someone who, if he's the number one guy on your team, you really feel like you're probably, there's like a really good chance there's a title in your future, right? Because he's the number two guy on a team right now that people don't even really feel like is, you know, in a, in a in an amazing spot for a title.
2: All right, I'll read out the rest of the top 15 here. So again, top five on this list was Luka Doncic, Zion, Lamelo, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum. Uh, starting with six, De'Aaron Fox, Ben Simmons, Devin Booker. Bam Adebayo, SGA, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brown, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and then John Morant rounds out the top 15. Morant to me was was another one that stood out, uh, and, and not necessarily for a positive reason. Uh, you know, when, when you start to look at the names above him, you know, it, it's really hard to to make a definitive case that that he belongs uh, too many spots higher just based on how he's played this season. But uh, you know, I think it was Mike Schmitz that did the write up on Morant in the article. I mean, he noted that Morant was number four on his list when they did this last year. I, I think that's probably about right. I think even three months ago, he would have been in the top five on, on most guys' list. I think he'd be ahead of guys like Donovan Mitchell, certainly ahead of De'Aaron Fox, even you know Devin Booker, who's at eight. But the three-point shot to me is, is really, really concerning. And outside of that, I mean, you mentioned the defensive issues with he and, and Trey Young, who's at 16 on this list. That certainly has to be factored in. And with Morant and, and and kind of the same for Trey Young, but I I just didn't really see any progress on his body from year one to year two. You know, he's still as thin as it gets. He's obviously a, a, a significantly better athlete than Trey Young, and that works in his favor. But I mean, I, I don't really know how long you can last, um, you know, kind of being in this this middle ground on defense as like a 178 pound point guard, if that.
1: Right. Yeah. Basketball Reference Probably has not. him at six three, one seventy four. Hmm. Um, so yeah, Moranth, the three point shooting for him is, is tough. I mean, we saw him, um, last year in the playoffs. Um, well, I guess it technically wasn't the playoffs, the play in game. Um, I felt like he was kind of holding his own. Um, it's kind of tough to say, like, I don't know. I, he, he's good because he's an amazing playmaker, right? And he commits very few turnovers. So, again, a guy who really raises the floor of your team because when he's out there, he's just making good decisions constantly. And, you know, I mean, he's not taking that. He's taking, you know, three and a half threes a game. So he's not really killing you by taking those shots. I think he probably takes them just more because he feels compelled to or he's wide open. Um, and he gets to the free throw line a good amount. It's just, you know, I like I really like John Morant, but I am also pretty surprised to see him over Trey Young.
2: It, yeah, I I think at this point in in an NBA where the three point shot is unbelievably valuable and it's it's really hard to be an elite player, uh, especially if you're challenged on the defensive end if you can't really shoot threes, you would you would think yeah that that would put Trey Young maybe over Morant. I mean that that to me is actually a really interesting debate uh, as to who you would take going forward. I I don't know. I mean like I, again two months ago it would have been Morant for me, um, but it's. I mean, we're going on, you know, several months now since he returned from that ankle injury and, you know, maybe like once every couple of weeks, he'll, he'll have a game that, that really kind of reminds you why you're all in on this guy. You, you went for 36 against Utah. Uh, they almost pulled that upset last week, but there's just too many, you know, random nights where he's 12 points, four assists in, in 30 minutes, you know, like at, at some point you kind of have to shake those games from your profile. Yeah, I think so. And.
1: I mean, he's also someone like I. Memphis is 24 and 23, but their team is really not good. No, like I, I don't know how they're. Tw- it's great coaching, I think, and it probably a testament to Moran himself. And again, like I think he's a floor raiser, but the he is not on a talented team at all. Like you know, in terms of uh, minutes per game, it's like Dylan Brooks is number two, right? Who most people think is like should not be playing, you know, 25 in minutes the NBA. a game. In the- yeah, like a lot of people think Dylan Brooks is like very like not good. Um, And, you know, it's a lot of Kyle Anderson. It's a lot of Grayson Allen. And, you know, I think if if John Morant and Trey Young switched places, I think John Morant would be in a much better spot on a game to game basis oh, yeah. to just like m- basically get his numbers because there are other threats
2: on the team besides him. He would also be by far the coolest Atlanta athlete since Michael yeah. Vick. <laughs> yeah, I don't no think question. there's any question about that. Like, I, I feel like they kind of tried to make that happen with Trey Young, and I hate to say he's he's just not that cool. I mean, he's, John Morant is extremely cool. I agree with you. John
1: Morant is, is way cooler than Trey Young. Like, and, and part of that's just like the the athleticism, right? Like, yeah. As much as the three pointer is a part, like the the movement in the NBA, I still think being able to like dunk like John Morant is the, the cooler skill, even though it's not necessarily like the better skill.
2: What do you think Trey Young is shooting from three this year? Um
1: thirty five percent?
2: Thirty-five point eight. Not not bad, but I, I also think in my mind he's a forty two percent three point shooter because of the the level of difficulty and, and like the highlight videos that you see where he never misses. But I like I mean his volume is way down compared to last year. He was at nine and a half attempts per game last season, he's down to six and a half this year which is a, a really kind of confusing development in some ways and, and part of it is just the the influx of, of other talent on that team but right I mean, his per game scoring numbers you know he's still at over 25 a game his assists are up compared to last year like the ball is still in his hands as much as it's ever been but um he has cut down on on some of those more reckless attempts but to me like for him to get to the level where you really start to consider him as like you know, the, the kind of light version of Steph Curry. Like he, he needs to get like over 40% from three, you know, you you can't be taking a lot of the the looks that he takes and only hitting them at, at a 35% clip.
1: Yeah. He does take, um he takes some just bizarre, like I know that's like, that's like part of the deal of having Trey young in your team. And like, I think why yeah. some of the chemistry issues arose with the Hawks, because it's you're, it's not college anymore where you're like clearly the best guy in the court and the team can't score without you. And you have so much defensive pressure on you all the time that you have to take 30 footers because that's the only part of the court that you're open. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're in the NBA now. Like there's 20 seconds left in the shot clock. Why are you pulling up for like a semi contested, you know, 29 footer in the middle of the third quarter. Um, and like, I, he he doesn't do that as much anymore, you know, especially, you know, like you mentioned, the team is better, but um The defense for him is going to be the main problem because anytime I sit down and like watch a Hawks game or watch the recaps, they just like, there are some teams that just go at him, Mm -hmm. you know, like if like the bucks play him, Drew holiday, will just post him up and just put him into the basket for like three straight possessions until the Hawks do something about it. Right. Um,
2: And to me, and to me, he's, and that was, that was how some teams treated Steph Curry early on, you know, before he got a lot smarter defensively, but he was so good offensively that you were willing to live with it. And his teammates were willing to live with it. And I, f- I feel like that's part of it with, with Trey Young. And and like you mentioned, the teammate aspect where it's like, okay, unless you're going to hit seven threes tonight and carry us on offense, like you're, you're killing us so much on defense that it's really not all that fun to play with you. Right. And I mean, I, Trey Young
1: and Steph Curry are listed as like the same weight on a basketball reference, which I just don't believe. Um, Trey Young has to be like 30 pounds like Trey or uh, Steph Curry's put on some like real weight like he's a pretty big guy now
2: there should um, be I've said this for years there should be every single year right before the season a televised event where every single player is measured and weighed and <laughs> like wingspan measured like how is it that we we still don't really know how tall Kevin Durant is we're like 13 years into his career and nobody's really sure that is a great question anyway carry on uh, no, that was my point. It's like, Trey Young needs to put on like 30 pounds
1: to even, to yeah. just knock it back down. And I know like players can be hesitant to do that for a few reasons. Like it's tougher on your body. Like it's tougher on your knees. You're not going to be as quick, but there's gotta be some sort of middle ground. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, in terms of like putting on enough muscle without losing quickness to where you're just not getting just completely targeted every time down the court.
2: Trey Young is 27th in total three pointers attempted this year. And he's missed only three games. That, that, that seems insane. low. That's crazy low. Yeah. I like I would have I would just blindly assume that he's in the top 10 every year of his career after last year.
1: Well, I mean, he does. I mean, he does spend a lot of his time hunting free throws now. Yeah, like that's again, part of the re- like Trey Young for some people is like hardened territory of unwatchable for yeah. free throw hunting. Um, And yeah, like, hey, I, I can't blame him for doing that. And I think that's. Getting in the paint and trying to hunt for free throws is probably better than like just launching yeah. a ton of threes.
2: Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's second in the league in free throw attempts. So that's that's spot on. I mean, I, I think a lot of the, you know, the, like like we talked about three fewer three point attempts per game. A lot of those possessions are going directly to to get into the rim and, and trying to draw contact. But I mean, he's taken 125 fewer threes than Jordan Clarkson. maybe that says more about Jordan Clarkson. Wow. That's crazy. That's hard to crazy. believe. Um, anything else in that top 15? that really stand out to you?
1: Uh, Michael Porter jr. Given the injury concerns and like how little he does other than just kind of like, I mean, he's a good rebounder and he's obviously insane from three, like his shooting percentage is nuts, but he just feels like he, like he does not pass the ball. Like he's not getting his teammates involved. People note that he's gotten better on defense. Okay. I don't know how much is that's going to stick. And then you also have the injuries concerns. So like him being 14 on one hand, I get it, but I'm not sure I would want him
2: over again. I'm not sure I'd want him over John Morant or Trey Young. He really genuinely seems to me like someone who would rather be the number one guy for the 17 win Pistons than be the number three (laughs) or four guy for the best team in the West. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's having a, I mean,
1: again, his efficiency
2: is crazy. Like. 54%
1: from the field, 45% from three on five and a half attempts a game.
2: Yeah. And that's Uh, where, that's where it becomes hard to argue with him. You know, it's like, you know, we, everybody makes fun of him for like openly, you know, pouting if he's not getting the ball, but like, dude, if you were, if you were putting up Kevin Durant level (laughs) shooting efficiency, I feel like we'd feel that way too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He is someone that, um, I mean, the only reason he doesn't have his own team is because he just like slipped so far in the draft for no reason, not for no reason, but like someone should have taken him before the nuggets.
2: Right. And Uh, I feel like we were so close to, he would have been like a hardened trade type of equivalent, you know, where it it felt like over the years, if they had pulled the trigger on a Brad Beal type of deal or something like that, you know, he could have gone and just been a 30 point per game guy for, for a terrible wizards team. But I feel like at some point we're going to see it, like unless he just kind of changes his psyche or the, the way he approaches the game. Like, I, I don't think Michael Porter is just going to sign an extension to continue being the third guy at best for the next five years in Denver. Right. I don't know. I
1: guess it depends how successful Denver is like in a world where they win the playoff or if they, if they win the title this year, that might kind of change his feeling about it. Cause yeah. he, he's someone who could average 20 points a game in the playoffs. Cause you give him 38 minutes a game mm-hmm. and he's still putting up that volume. Then again, you're an NBA champion, scoring 20 points a game in the NBA Finals. Like, why? <laughs> I mean, you, I guess you might as well stick around. I don't know.
2: My last point on on Michael Porter. And I was thinking about this. I was listening to the the Low Post last night. They they had a Nuggets writer on, talking about you know the injury and, and all those concerns after the draft. And I feel like we still talk about that. And, and it you know wasn't that far away. But like, at what point do we just declare him healthy? Yeah. You know, like, how many how many full seasons does he have to play? Kind of like Embiid, you know, like where that was just such a narrative for so long. And even Simmons, who missed his entire rookie year, you know, a- after having foot surgery, like how many games in a row does he have to play without missing a month, you know, for us to just say, okay, you have to assume he's healthy going forward?
1: I don't know. Um, it feels like three years to me, because even Simmons is kind of starting to get the injuries back, like last year. Yeah. He hurt, what was it his knee or his He had what? that
2: weird uh it was it was in the bubble, right? Like that yeah. he was like standing in the corner and just kind of tweaked his knee out of nowhere.
1: Yep. Um and then beat obviously this year just got hurt again for like 2 3 weeks, however long that was. Um it feels like it's years that these guys have to go to like really shake
2: yeah. it. I mean with with Porter though it's like he could strain his hamstring or dislocate his shoulder and it's like like with him there was just such a, there was a single concentrated concern and it was his back. Yeah. So it's like as long as he avoids back injuries, like I you can live with him, you know, even if he were to like tear his ACL, you couldn't be like, "Oh, that's related to the back." Yeah,
1: I guess there's some concern that like the back is such a big right. like concern that like if he's if he's compensating in other parts of his body, like if if he has a really weak back and so he's putting more, you know, pressure on his knees and stuff like that, um it could just be kind of like a he could kind of be a ticking time bomb, which is I guess probably was a concern of a lot of teams, which is like You know, maybe it's just one more injury. Like you said, if he does tear his ACL, maybe it's just like over for him.
2: He also has, and I I don't know the full history off the top of my head, but he has like insane, like bad luck that runs in his family with injuries. Like his brother, John Porter, has torn his ACL like two or three times. He has a sister who tore ACL like four times. I I think that that possibly played into it where there was just this belief that like genetically he was predisposed to, to these injuries. That makes sense. I mean, I, if, if it was a family issue for like everyone who was an athlete, yeah. then I would. I feel like I'd believe it. Yeah, he was born with multiple ACL tears. <laughs> um, so Devin Booker at eight, Adebayo at nine. I, I think that seems about right to me. SGA at ten. I, I'm a little surprised that there wasn't maybe more of a pullback on on Brandon Ingram, who's ahead of Jalen Brown, because it feels like those guys have moved in opposite directions this season. And you know, Brown got off to that crazy hot start, and he hasn't been quite as good since. And Ingram was so good last year, and he's kind of been a- about the same this year. Uh, but it feels like Jalen Brown has had a lot more momentum this year, and there's been a lot more negativity around Ingram, and yet Ingram is the guy that gets ranked over Brown.
1: It's kind of surprising to me. Um, yeah. I've definitely watched more Pelicans games than Celtics games, but... Well, I think part of it, part of like you mentioned their, their momentum going separate ways, part of the thing with Ingram is like there are a lot of times at the end of Pelicans games where he's taking shots where you're like, I would have much preferred Zion had the ball that possession. Yes. And I think so you're both thinking he's a bad decision maker and that he's not as good as the other player on the court. Um, so that's kind of a concern. And I so I guess it just feels like Jalen Brown is almost more like cemented in his role. Like it's not you, you don't mm-hmm. when Jalen Brown takes a shot, I, it doesn't feel as much like, oh, we really should have had Tatum take that shot. Like, why is not Tatum have the ball right now? Um, you know, so, and Jalen Brown, obviously, better two-way player, I think, than than Ingram. Ingram has a bunch of defensive potential, because it's like we've been mm-hmm. saying that for five years. True. Um, and it's still potential. So I I think they deserve to be pretty close um, in the rankings. And you could, you know, you
2: could flip them. And I yeah. think that's fine. One more note on on Michael Porter. Jamal Murray is number 13 on this list. So you, you have those two guys, teammates, that are separated by one spot. Is it that close to you from a asset value standpoint, where like if, if you're the Nuggets and for whatever reason you had to choose between those two, and you're like, all right, we have we have Nikola Jokic locked up, we have to choose one or the other, you know, and and this list would imply that it's it's neck and neck, you know, maybe Murray slightly more valuable than Porter, but if you're projecting out five to seven years, you would know, who would who would you take of those two, and and is it as close as this list would imply?
1: I would take Murray and I don't think I would think that hard about it. Um, I think especially for the Nuggets, especially, I think having that two man game, that kind of pick and roll, pick and pop, Jokic and Murray work so well together um, in a way that like I don't really envision Porter and Jokic playing off of each other in that sort of like it. I don't really envision them like running the offense together like Mm -hmm. the Nuggets for a lot of the playoffs and I mean this season they just run that Murray Jokic two-man game and that's like really what's fueling them a lot of these times even when it doesn't result in points for Murray or for Jokic it's like teams have to pay so much attention to that that it opens up guys like Michael Porter for easy shots and um, I don't think Michael Porter would be like opening up easy shots for other teammates in that kind of a situation and again the injury concern is there
2: yeah yeah yeah, I, I think Murray is just the more known commodity at this point, and right. I mean it's kind of crazy that they're only separated by like a year and a half. I, I think I I think of Jamal Murray as being you know years older than Michael Porter, but uh, that's really not the case. So the final ten spots on this list, starting at sixteen, Trey Young, McCall Bridges, Demontis Sabonis, Anthony Edwards, DeAndre Ayton, Tyrese Halliburton, John Collins, Jared Allen, Lonzo Ball, and Colin Sexton sneaking onto the list over RJ Barrett.
1: This this is kind of where things start to really get uh, jumbled. I don't know if that's the right word. Like, this just feels like a lot of names got thrown at a dartboard. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I would Um, like to see there there wasn't like an honorable mention section here. Like, I would I would like to see the names that were kind of next up.
1: Right. I I mean, this is it's also a weird combination of like role players and guys who are like like Mikael Bridges is definitely a role player like his upside is like third best player on your team maybe and he's ahead of demanga sabonis who is the best player on the pacers
2: well Um, and, and here's like i know we're kind of downplaying the age component of this but look i love mccall bridges he's 24 and a half tyrese Halliburton just turned 21 like three and a half years to me is a pretty big difference on this list in terms of what that can mean for development like look at mccall bridges year one to year three and I, I think it's fair to say that Tyrese Halliburton has a decent amount of room to grow. Yeah. Like
1: I've been, mean, you could put Tyrese Halliburton over McHale bridges. I feel like you could have put, put this list in like any order and I, I couldn't have gotten like too mad at you. You know, like I think if we're having a debate between like, you know, like if Demongus Abongus was 25, maybe I'd be like, that's kind of confusing, but um you know, like, I'm still really unclear on what I think about Anthony Edwards, mm-hmm. uh, who's 19. Uh, I really like John Collins. Um, I think he's probably better than Lonzo Ball, who's two spots below him. Jared Allen almost might be too high. Like, I feel like the Jared Allen hype is, almost, like, starting yeah. to get out of control. Um, yeah, this this section of the, the list is just mm-hmm. very confusing to me.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think with with Sabonis, like it wouldn't have even been that crazy to me if he was left off partially because he's the, he is actually the oldest player on this list I, I misspoke earlier he's you know the closest to 25 like a month or two away um and you know with Sabonis, it's like the numbers are really good he's a great fantasy forward to have on, on your roster but there are some limitations uh as far as you know whether you're building around him and I think that's something you have to answer like if, if it's just like you know, star potential, then McCall Bridges probably doesn't belong on this list. But if you're looking for a guy who can contribute to a winning team, provided that there's at least three, you know, really good players around him, then McCall Bridges becomes a lot more valuable in that context.
1: Right. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the part of the list I thought earlier, like if you just have to give a max contract to these guys for their life, it's like <laughs> no one in their right mind would be like, yes, McCall Bridges, lock right. him up. You know, I want this guy in my team for the rest of his career as my number one guy. Yeah. Um. So, you know, there's like obviously going to be some nuance on this list, but it's I don't know. I mean, does anybody from this list really stand out to you? I mean, DeAndre Ayton, I guess DeAndre Ayton is confusing to me because I have no I have zero like I his career path is bizarre to me at this point because he was so much better last year than he was this year. It seems very much like Monty Williams does not trust DeAndre at all. Um, And he's such an old school center that even if he's really good at that, you know, what's kind of the upside there? Like a lot of times I watch him and I don't really feel like he's like, I don't really look at him and be like, this is going to be a guy who's like, when he Mm -hmm. figures it out, he'll be dominant. You know, he'll be
2: like prime Dwight when he figures it out. Um, That's just not how I feel when I watch him. I don't feel that way at all either. I don't I don't know what the ceiling is ultimately. I I feel like he's just gonna kind of be maybe a slightly elevated version of what he is now for the next five to ten years. Like 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 you said, it's hard to imagine we're six years down the road and all of a sudden DeAndre Ayton is like in the M V P conversation like Joel Embiid. You know, there's yeah. just not there's not like an overwhelming physical trait that he has or skill that he has that that really separates him from any other big men in the league. And and there's so many super athletic um, you know, seven footers, guys who can handle it a little bit, who can step out and shoot it better than he can, that he's, he's not really all that unique in any way or the other. Like what, like what does he do better than any other under 25 big man in the league? I I don't know what that would be. Does he do anything like way above average at this point?
1: Uh, I mean, he, t- he's kind of like a, a pick and pop mid range guy. Yeah. So he does like, have nice touch in
2: that, in that mid range.
1: Yeah. He is a, he's a good mid range shooter. Um, like kind of short mid-range
2: mm-hmm.
1: but yeah man i don't know i like he's obviously you know he's good enough to get high efficiency because he's 61 percent from the field right but if you're a center and you're playing with chris paul and you just kind of give you just kind of take what he what chris paul gives you then you're just going to shoot 60 percent from the field if your hands aren't made of brick right
2: right exactly and his hands have not been fantastic this year um which is strange for somebody who has good touch usually those go hand in hand uh, he's not not a fantastic catcher of the basketball uh under the hoop i one way to read this list and like you said there is some nuance involved and it, it you can't necessarily do this but you could say anybody who is higher on the list you know you would not trade that person for someone lower on the list right so sure you know if you're if you're the minnesota timberwolves you would not trade anthony edwards at number 19 for tyrese halliburton who's at number 21 I, I don't know how much that necessarily holds up. Um, obviously, a lot like contracts and whatnot have to do with that. But if you throw if you throw contract status out the window, I, I think it becomes a lot more interesting. With that said, McCall Bridges is seventeen. Tyrese Halliburton is twenty one. I'm going to go back to that example. If you're Phoenix, would you would you trade McCall Bridges straight up for Tyrese Halliburton right now? Because I don't think Sacramento uh, would do that, even though McCall Bridges is five spots higher. Right. Um. I think so,
1: because it seems like the experiment of like Devin Booker as more of an actual off guard has gone well. And Chris Paul is kind of the ultimate point guard in a way that Tyrese Halliburton isn't, although Tyrese Halliburton is also a really good decision maker. Um, Yeah, I think
2: I would want I think I'd want Halliburton if I was Phoenix. It's, well, and again, the context of this season, where they're they're second in the West, and I, I was shocked when I checked the standings today. They're only two and a half back of Utah. Like it feels like Utah has opened up this like 15 game lead in the West, so that's really not the case at all. Phoenix has been keeping pace uh, really well with Utah. So you know, obviously, you're not going to make a move like that mid season after the trade deadline. Wouldn't even work um, to to blow up a you know a core that could potentially have a chance at a title, but yeah in a vacuum it's it's really interesting to discuss especially when you bring role players into the conversation like i don't know i mean like if you're the wolves i don't like how many guys on this list would you trade anthony edwards for like i in that same range like would you would you trade him straight up for Demontis simonis who's one spot ahead of him would you trade him for mccall bridges i i don't think you'd deal him for either of those guys right now maybe you would have two months ago
1: no i don't think so um I'm still really lost on how I feel about Anthony Edwards, man. Like Me he too. just takes so many shots and he's not really playmaking for his teammates. Um it's I mean, some of that is going to be decision making, but I, I don't know. I if he turned out to be like really good someday, you know, mm-hmm. perennial uh all star, um, that wouldn't be shocking. But if he just kind of flamed out and yep. was just Ended up being not maybe flamed out, but just ended up like being a sixth man somewhere. Good sixth man also
2: wouldn't shock me. Mm -hmm. It's just it feels impossible to tell. The volume is crazy. And I think part of that is just like the general inflation of NBA offenses where it's like, how how much do you read into this? Because there aren't that many rookies who put up the type of numbers that he does. Efficiency aside, I mean, he's at he's at thirty nine point four percent from the field this year, but he's, he's up to almost 18 points a game. And for the last month or two, he's been, you know, hovering 20, 20 to five, 22, 25, I should say on most nights. So like at some point it's a skill to just be able to score that much. But like, I I wonder, like, is it, is it just easier to do now than it was five, 10, 15 years ago?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is kind of a thing that I've I've wondered just in terms of like how many of these guys that we view as all-stars are just being given the opportunity. Like how many guys who are sitting on a bench right now could be all stars. Mm-hmm. If they were just kind of handed their own team, this is like the
2: Jeremy grant. Thing. Exactly. I was just about to say that I was looking at his yeah. name. I have the NBA field goal attempt leaders up right now. Where do you think Anthony Edwards ranks in total field goal attempts this season? Uh, like he hasn't missed a game. I don't think so. He's made 34 starts. He's played in 51 games, which is right up there with the most in the league. Is he like, like 19th? He is 14th. He has taken more field goals than Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they've played almost the exact same number of minutes.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, some of that exact words not getting to the line, but that's crazy.
2: I mean, he he gets to the line at like a, an okay amount. I mean, 3.2 well, attempts on the season. Obviously, that's quite a bit higher the last month or two. Yeah, I mean, Giannis gets to there like
1: 10 yeah. times. Yeah.
2: But I think the, I think the point stands. Like your your point, yes. it, it just I can I can read off more examples than just Giannis. But that that just happens to be who's number fifteen on the list.
1: It's just like how many guys, like the amount of guys in the NBA that could get you eighteen points if you let them take seventeen shots a game. Yeah. You know, like he's on the on the season he's shooting, you know, thirty nine percent from the field and thirty one percent from three. Um, like that's awful. They're really bad, and so. Like, you can say he's getting you 17, but he's also getting you 17 on awful efficiency for the worst team in the NBA. So, how do you even discern
2: what that means? I know, and it's it's really tough. And I was looking back at Carmelo Anthony, of all people, who his his rookie year he came in right away was was very good. I think he was second in rookie of the year voting to LeBron, who I mean, arguably shouldn't have won rookie of the year. That that's a debate for another day. Um, but in terms of the peer numbers, which is often how this award is dictated. I mean, Melo was 21 points a game right away as a rookie, 42 percent from the field, 32 percent from three. He was a 26 percent three point shooter his second year, 24 right. his, his third year, 26 his fourth year. So, it, you know, it, it's not like you have to come in and, and all of a sudden just be a 45, 35, 80 guy right away. Like there there is some precedent for for young players, you know, in these high usage roles that struggle and, and obviously eventually figure it out and, and become Hall of Famers. I have no idea if that's going to happen with Anthony Edwards, but I, I'm at least willing to brush aside the efficiency to some degree. I mean, even LeBron was a sub 42% shooter his rookie year. And right. and part of it, too, is just the, the insane volume of three-pointers that guys are taking. You know, over his last 19 games, which is when he really started playing more minutes, Edwards is taking eight and a half threes per game. And when you're hitting him at 31%, that's going to drag down your, your field goal percentage quite a bit. And and he's still at like 42% over that span overall.
1: Yeah. Mello's Mello's uh, start of his career is interesting because like you yeah. mentioned his first two years, you know, was like 43% from the field with more turnovers than assists.
2: Yeah. He, he had like major issues early on.
1: Right. So, I mean, some of it might be, you know, and and I guess something to be said about the eye test and like watching Anthony Edwards and realizing that his athletic ability is crazy. And once he turns the corner on someone, he's Mm going to just try You know, he can go up and dunk it. And he's one of the best athletes in the NBA. And some of that I think is just players. Like they need more time to learn like the intricacies of like when to take certain angles, when to give the ball up and cut, you know, I think he's just, I think he's just playing like too fast, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, you know? And that was something I even like, was I complained about Giannis earlier in the season. Like Giannis was just rushing everything. Um, and I think it, it's tough when you're a rookie in the like super pace and space era, not to just be like, okay, like I'm kind of open. I'm just going to fire it. Yeah. Um, So I think he's a guy who I think if he, if he slows down, is more patient, mm-hmm. picks his spots a little bit more that, again, I think he, I mean, he has enough of a chance to be a, a really good player. Yeah. I, I, the last
2: thing I'll say on Edwards is, I have not seen a ton of the like next level vision, decision-making playmaking flashes that you typically see early on. You know, I was just dogging LeBron for shooting 41% as a rookie. It was clear quarter one of game one, Cavs Kings, his first career NBA game that he was going to be a special playmaker. You know, with Edwards, it's a lot of just kind of head down. uh, I'm, I'm taking the shot as soon as the ball touches my hand. Like there, there haven't been a lot of those like, wow, this guy really sees the game differently type of plays that you see from from a lot of guys who it you, you just kind of know right away Yeah, you know, I think we saw that with with Donovan Mitchell you saw that with uh, someone like John Morant you know even though the shooting has, has kind of lagged behind like there's there's just kind of a, a, a certain understanding uh, of the game I think that you ha- that you need to reach like extreme heights to become like a hall of fame type of talent and I know it seems like early and kind of crazy to, to be discussing that with Edwards but Look, when you're the number one pick, I don't care what draft it is. If you're the number one overall pick, it's not crazy to discuss potential Hall of Fame trajectory because it, you know, even even in a down draft, that still means a ton to go number one.
1: Right, and I think that is sort of like that. That was the complaint with someone like Melo too, which is he yeah. can get you his twenty to twenty five, and maybe he'll be able to do it efficient efficiently later in his career. But is there a world where he is really making his teammates better on a on a consistent basis?
2: Mm-hmm. And I think it's expected of someone like Edwards, maybe more than it was of Melo, who like Melo was a scoring forward and that's what he was going to be. Nobody was expecting him to ever be a playmaker. And when you're, when you're a guard, it's just different. Like it's, it's really hard to get away with being a guy who might top out at like 28 points, three rebounds, two and a half assists. You know, that it's just, it's not really acceptable. Whereas if, especially in the mid two thousands, if you're averaging 31 points and nine rebounds, nobody's going to care if you're, if you're only handing out three assists. (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. And he wasn't, I mean, in college, you know, he wasn't efficient in college either. And no, it wasn't handing out uh, plenty of assists. And co- like, I think he basically had an even assist to turnover ratio in college. So, yeah,
2: the priorities were so much different back then. Even five years, I mean, Frank Kaminsky was a lottery pick, a top 10 pick not that long ago.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, that was kind of a mistake. But, you know, I guess, I don't know. I mean, you figure. That's a whole different discussion. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of why the why Sam Decker and Frank Kaminsky were drafted yeah. so high.
2: Well, I was I was discussing with some friends watching the game last night, and somebody asked me, like, oh, what's Drew Timmy's draft stock? And I'm like, honestly, I have no idea. I, I think and what I said is, like, I think Frank Kaminsky was, like, the last stand for that type <laughs> of player. Like, I, I think that was the final try. It was like, if this doesn't work out, we're never drafting a guy like that in the first round again. And I, I kind of think that's going to be the case. Like, you're going to have to be a really special white big man you know you're going you have to have like a, a either an elite jump shot or you have to be a, a crazy defender um like the days of just like the really good college big man who just finds ways to score like those those players just nba teams just don't even chance it anymore well what's the like what's the i i don't know because i'm not deep into
1: like mock drafts and you know as much as like you or, or even james but like luka garza
2: what's it like what, what's that situation going to be i would say if, I mean, maybe late second and then would probably just end up with the G League like teams. Teams aren't messing around anymore. And he in 1995, it would be like Garza or Timmy. Who do you got at number one? Yeah. And that's what's crazy to me. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Man. Yeah. I don't know how much of the game you watched last night, but I mean, it, Timmy looked like the, the weakest player on the court, you know, despite being 6'10". He had five turnovers, just couldn't hang on to the ball. Like guys like that, just they get they just get like. Uh, to, to borrow a, a college football term, they get out physical.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, they're the NBA at least has a lot of avenues now to where like, you know, they're like, you mentioned teams are going to be down on guys like Luca Garza at this point, but Hey, if you get taken in the in middle of the second, you can maybe make a career in the G league. Mm-hmm. Someone like Christian Wood, you know, like there are plenty of guys who go to the G league and kind of iron out the problems in their game and end yep. up being good players.
2: Right, and I mean, you could at the very least, you probably make a great living overseas. Like it's more valuable for those players to stay the extra year and become like a college legend and kind of have that be your identity, than try to forge it in the NBA, the current yeah. NBA. It's it's just it's to be like especially for a back down, slow center like that. Like teams just don't even throw it in the post anymore. That's the other thing. It's like what if, if you if your main you know weapon as a, as an offensive player is back to the basket up and under, you know, quick lefty hook type of moves. Like, you know, anytime you're on the court, you're you're, not going to be running the offense through you, especially if you're the 45th pick in the draft, you know, it's like, you're not even going to get the opportunities at any level that you had, uh, you know, in the college game.
1: No. And that's why those, you know, like the the Jackson Hayes types and it would get drafting, uh, they get drafted so high.
2: Right. Guys who are, you know, I mean, what did he average, like six points and four rebounds or something like that in college? You see it every year. It's just, this guy has the body of somebody who could succeed, even if he may not have the skill. We'd rather we'd rather put it in our hands to develop it than draft someone who, you know, doesn't have much of a higher ceiling than than what they are right now. Right. All right. We'll wrap it up there. Um we're gonna do some video work tomorrow. Um I'm gonna be throwing up a, an NBA YouTube video on the Rotowire YouTube channel. Uh have not done this yet. We're gonna see how that goes. Um, but we've we've done a lot of great work. Um especially with baseball and football uh, and that prep all starting up. So if you are a YouTube viewer, make sure to check that out. I do not know what the topic will be yet. Our video guy, Alan Soslowski, said he wants to keep it a surprise. I'm hoping it's going to be just like a 15-minute deep dive on R.J. Barrett, all of his strengths, (laughs) uh, his few weaknesses. Um, But keep an eye out for that. Uh, And then James and I will be doing the 10 worst draft picks of the last five years. We teased that one a couple weeks ago. When we did the best draft picks of the last five years, we're going to turn that on its head, do the worst. That'll come out on Thursday, and then, of course, Alex, you'll be back with Ken and Shannon on Friday.
3: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing.